All right, I'm going to um, get jumping into the message this morning because we're going to have an impartation time at the end. This week and next week, we're going to be praying over you and connecting some dots and really activating you uh, into your ministry assignment in the marketplace. Uh, I appreciate Pastor Andrew last Sunday did an amazing job. Give him a hand. I always appreciate his wisdom and insight. I'm part of a whole bunch of group texts uh, on my phone, and it was exploding after the message Sunday, or actually it was on Monday and throughout the week, of men taking pictures of their shoes off at work uh, and sending that, and because uh, we were encouraged last week to uh, view our marketplace job as holy ground, and when we go there, we're bringing the presence of the Lord there, and God wants to do stuff through us there, and, uh, and it was fun seeing lots of shoes at lots of different workplaces. Uh, I took my own sandals off uh, and from Honduras and took a picture and sent it to the guys as well, just to let them know I was on holy ground also. Get your Bibles open to Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, and while you're going there, Pastor Andrew sent me this email, and I think this email really captures um, what we're after in this series, and I hope it's been helpful to you. I said, good morning, Pastor. I wanted to share this exciting story with you, and she shares her name and her son's name. She said, I came up to you on Sunday and asked you to pray for me, first service, and to give some direction on how I can do this when I work at home. So she had a question about how to apply the, the, the message. Every morning, I've been asking God to be my boss, to stop complaining, to treat my work as worship, and to have a kingdom vision. She said, a co-worker who is new to our team called, and, called me and asked if I could talk. She shared with me that she had just received news. She has an aggressive, malignant cancer on her face. They gave her uh, best outlook of five years. She has four sons. She's crying because her youngest is only six. Now, how I many of you know that woman uh, never has come to Living Stones? I don't know if she goes to church. I don't know if she knows God. But none of those things have to be true because God's already placed somebody in her workplace who does know the Lord and who's full of the Holy Spirit and who sees her work as ministry, as worship, and comes and she shares this incredibly heavy prayer request. And listen to what she says here. I love this. She said, I prayed with her, and I shared who God is and how powerful he is. We're going to have a call every day to pray for her family, her healing, and God's plan for her. I'm crying right now while I am writing this. If I wasn't praying for this and setting my mind to focus on these things, I don't know that I would have asked to meet with her daily to pray. I wouldn't be focused on his agenda. You told me that you sense that God has something for me. He does, exclamation point. Thank you for preaching this sermon on Sunday. Thank you for breaking it down into simple steps that I'm able to apply to my life. I'm so excited and blessed to be used for God's kingdom. I just wanted to share this with you. Have a blessed day, Pastor Andrew. Isn't that a great, great email right there? And uh, I just have... Amen. I just can't help but imagine how many scenarios do we run into every single day, every week for sure, if we just had the eyes of Jesus to see that we, he wants to flow through us. And how many of you think a woman who doesn't know God, who's facing a severe, you know, aggressive cancerous tumor uh, that has four young, young sons, uh, she needs hope and she needs Jesus and she needs, she needs an answer. 
And Jesus is big enough for this. And, and like we shared before, Jesus loves these types of challenges, especially with unsaved people out in the marketplace where they're not expecting anybody to stop and pray for them or to care for them or to talk to them or to offer hope. They're just expecting to come to work. But Jesus is waiting to work through us. And can I remind you from previous messages, who's the kind of people he worked through in the book of Acts? The first qualification was they had to be ordinary. Anybody fit that qualification? I think we all fit. The second qualification was they had to be ignorant. I won't ask you to raise hands on that one. But I think most of us qualify. When I say ignorant, I didn't say stupid. I said ignorant, meaning they did not have any formal theological training. And the point that I just want to remind us of is that most of our excuses that we come across in the Bible, we've already run into people who have already used those excuses and God shot them down. So if you're saying, well, who am I? I don't know who am I to pray for people. I'm not, you know, some healing evangelist. You don't have to be. You just have to be ordinary. Well, I don't know. I've heard this one too. I don't know enough of the Bible. Are you saved? Well, yeah, I'm saved. Do you know Jesus? Well, yeah, I know Jesus. Can you lay hands on somebody and just ask Jesus to heal them? I think you can. This is not rocket science. It's just about being available. Ordinary and ignorant, that's who God's looking for. And people, here's the third qualification, people who have been with Jesus. So we have to spend time with Jesus. And I'm encouraging you, start your day with Jesus. And I love what she said. If it had not been for this series, her focus would not be sharpened, and she probably would have absolutely missed the opportunity. Or how many of you know sometimes people will share stuff with us, but we don't step into the gap and bring Jesus to the situation. We just go, oh, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, any pagan can say we're sorry to hear that. You're not pagans. We're not pagans. We're people who know God. God wants us to bring more than just, I'm sorry to hear that. He wants us to bring hope, and he wants us to bring life and healing. Amen? You know, when we go on mission trips, the thing we love to preach about, and by the way, our whole team was shot out like a cannon. Everybody was at all different churches all throughout the week ministering. But I love to minister on the kingdom because what's the kingdom? Well, it's the good news of the gospel that Jesus saves. It's the good news that Jesus heals. And it's the good news that Jesus sets people free from oppression. Well, where does he want to do that? Everywhere. And so guess what we saw when we preached the gospel, and then we give people a chance to respond. Can I just tell you, when you go on the mission field and you preach the gospel, they are expecting that you're going to give them a chance to respond because you ready for this? They're desperate. They're desperate. They don't want you just to tell them about the good news. They want to experience the good news. Now, maybe you know, it's the same thing in America. We don't want to just talk about what Jesus used to do. We want to show you what Jesus is doing. Because how many of you know Jesus has a heart of compassion for that woman and what she's going through and for her children? And so turn with me. I think I already told you. Colossians chapter 3. This is a powerful verse. Paul says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. How many of you know when it says work willingly in whatever you do, that pretty much covers everybody. I'm being facetious. That covers y'all, all y'all. Because all y'all do something, don't you? Paul just said, whatever you do, don't do it for a paycheck, first and foremost. Do it for the Lord. Now, this is incredible teaching from Paul and from the Holy Spirit. 
Because what would happen if we stopped viewing our job as a means to an end, as a means to pay the bills or to make some money or whatever? What if we started actually viewing what we did tomorrow morning as an act of worship unto the Lord? And so what I'm trying to tell you is this is not just worship. When you wake up tomorrow morning, where are you going to? You're going to worship. I don't know. I hate my boss. I don't like those people I work with are idiots, and I don't really. I, and I wish I'd get a raise because I'm not making enough money. Well, you you missed the whole point. You're not doing whatever you do as under the Lord at that point. You're obviously doing it for yourself, and you're ticked off at everybody, and you're probably not being a really great example, and nobody wants prayer from you because they don't want the same demons that you're tormented with. All right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the truth, though, isn't it? I mean. What if whatever you did, you did for the highest boss? See, let me just tell you a little secret. The reason America has been an economic powerhouse for centuries is because there's this thing called the Protestant work ethic, which simply taught people when you do, when you do your work, do it as worship. So that means you're not going to show up late and do cruddy work. You're not going to cheat people. You're not going to cut the corner. You're going to show up early, you're going to work hard, and you're going to do it with a smile on your face, and you're going to be committed to helping your boss be successful. And you know what happens when you do that? You prosper. You get blessed. Or you have people that go off now to work, and it's all about what's here for me. I need this, or how about that, or how come you're not doing this, and you whine, 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 and you cut corners, and you lie, you cheat, and you don't show up early or on time, and you don't do good work. I mean, you know, God can't bless any of that. But something amazing happens when we just simply do whatever we do for a higher calling and a higher person. In other words, God's concerned about the motivation and for whom you're doing the work, not just the work itself. I know people too, you know, this is a sad thing. This is how impoverished we become in the West when we lose God and we focus on atheistic materialism. There are people that say, oh, don't go into teaching. There's no money there. Well, people never got into teaching for money. They got into teaching because it was a calling, because they, they had a call from God to teach and to equip the next generation. It wasn't about money. Everything today is all about money. Well, there's no money there. There's no money there. Where are you called to worship? That's the real question. Where are you called to worship? And if you're worshiping money, you're going to be very frustrated with your life. If that's what you're living for, that's your God, you're going to be very frustrated. But if you do whatever you do, as under the Lord, everything in life gets elevated. Everything gets, gets honorable, becomes honorable. And it's not just to say, well, what do you do for me? Oh, I'm just a whatever. No, you're not just a whatever. You're doing what you're doing for the glory of God. And you're doing it with excellence unto him, not to please people. This raises the bar on everything that we do and raises the bar on the sense of calling that we have. You know, we've got to recover, and we've, this is a little bit of a review, but we've got to recover our biblical theology of vocation. How many of you believe God is Lord of all of life, not just part of life? Yes. This is why, can I just tell you again, on a deeper level, you cannot function as a biblical, God-centered Christian if you don't enjoy religious liberty. Because what I'm telling you is you don't work for the government, for public this, for public that. You work for the Lord, which means you bring him to work, 
which means you bring his message to work. You bring his love, his life, his power to work, and you can't do that without religious liberty. So I'm just connecting some more dots for you here as to why we need to keep being vigilant because you can't even be a Christian the way the Bible teaches if you don't have the freedom to bring Jesus to work with you. How many of you know Jesus is not only the Lord of faith and missions and church planting, amen, but he's also the Lord of business and science and art. And that makes secular people really scared because they don't mind Jesus being Lord of the church. But when you tell them Jesus is Lord of everything, Jesus, Mike, is Lord of the financial markets. Whoa. Now we get accused of being dominionist because we're trying to take over the planet. I got news for you. Jesus is going to take over planet Earth. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. And let me give you a second revelation. Jesus does not believe in the separation of church and state. Jesus honors the institutional separation of church and state. Church has its own business. State has its own business. But Jesus never believed that he wasn't allowed to have any say in the marketplace or in government. If you try to tell Jesus that, you've just basically said you're not Lord. Don't try that one on him. So let me just tell you, if you preach the gospel like we preach here, you're going to make people nervous. You're going to be accused of trying to take over. Just tell them, we're, we are taking over, not by force, <laughs> but by the superior power of the Holy Spirit and the love of Jesus Christ. God's going to track you down and overwhelm you with his incredible love, and it's irresistible. You're not going to be able to stop. We're going to take over the planet. All right. I'm messing with you, but that always makes secular people nervous. And uh, especially at churches like ours where we get, we blur the lines. And I'm just trying to tell you, Jesus erased the stinking lines. They're not even blurry. He, he erased the lines because there are no lines. That's my message. There are no lines. He's the creator of it all. He's the sustainer of it all. And he's the redeemer of it all. Where does he not belong? So all of life is sacred. Now, Martin Luther came and flipped over the apple cart because how many of you know prior to Martin Luther's time, there was a clear distinction between the clergy, guys like me, and the laity, folks like you. And you didn't cross those paths. Clergy folks were holy, and then there's the rest of you, you know, folks. <laughs> God help you. And, uh, and the, the holy people hid out in monasteries and they became monks and all this kind of stuff. And then the rest of you had to go out and do the dirty work of life, all right? And you just made sure you showed up enough to, to make sure you weren't going to hell. And we'd sell you whatever to keep you out and build temples and make ourselves rich. It was a bad scene. But anyway, we're not doing that anymore, thanks partly to Martin Luther. This is what Martin Luther said. Now, think about how radical this was, all right? Think about the time in which he said this. The works of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they be, do not differ on wit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic laborer in the field or the woman going about her household task, but that all works are measured before God, ready for this, by faith alone. That was an explosion because what he just said was the woman changing diapers with a household full of kids if she's doing it for the glory of God, is just as holy as the priest standing up there performing the mass. Yeah. Amen. That was radical. That turned the whole cart upside down. 
What he said was the thing that mattered was not the service you're performing, but for whom you're performing it, and that you're doing it under the glory of God. What that did was it elevated everybody to the same level before the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Elevated everything. And the phrase Coram Deo came out of this whole movement and revelation, which literally means before the face of God. The root word of Coram is the word Korah, and this is beautiful. It means the pupil of the eye, and Deo means God. So what this meant was when we do our work, we do our work as worship before a God who sees everything. God even calls us, he said uh, that we're like the, the pupil of his eye, meaning he protects us, he guards us, he sees us, uh, he loves us, he's very personal with us, his presence goes with us, and that all of life is performed quorum deo before the presence of God. How I many you know you can't hide anything from the Lord? He sees it all. That means he's incredibly intimate with us, and he's all-powerful. And so we do our lives, quorum deo, before the face of God, or maybe you've heard this phrase too, before an audience of one. How many of you have figured out, I learned this a long time ago preaching, I can either preach to an audience of one and seek his pleasure, or I can try to make all y'all happy at the same time. I'm a smart pastor. There is no way I can make all y'all happy at the same time. So I quit trying that a long time ago. I want to make him happy, my audience of one, and then trust that he'll make your heart happy if I'm speaking the truth. Amen? So same thing with you. You can live to please everybody, or you can just live to please God. If you please God, he'll give you favor with himself and with people. If you try to please people, you'll be an idolater. You don't want to be an idolater. So let's live before an audience of one. I love this quote. We are to live all of our life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the honor and glory of God. That's a mouthful, but that's good, isn't it? Do you hear how God-centered that is? And really today is about presenting our lives in consecration to that call. And I know many of you have given your life to Christ, and that's great. But I mean, you know, there, is a, there are many times for our lives of fresh consecration to God's purposes. We're going to have a chance to do that this morning. Another one of my favorites, if some of you folks like, who, do, who does pastor like to read? I love to read Abraham Kuyper. He's an incredible thinker, shaped, shaped much of our Christian worldview. Uh, this is what he said. Wherever a man stand and whatever he may do to whatever he may apply his hand, He is constantly standing before the face of his God. He is employed in the service of his God. He has strictly to obey his God. And above all, he has to aim at the glory of God. Now, this is just coming to me second service because I've had a number of people that got the same letter I got from Senator Todd Young's office. How many of you got that letter this week? All right. And basically, Senator Young is trying to have his cake and eat it, too, because if I applied what I just shared with you to his vote on, on same-sex marriage, what this just says is wherever he stands and whatever, wherever he applies his hand, he is constantly standing before the face of God. He's employed in the service of God, and he has to strictly obey his God, and he has to aim for the glory of God. Now, how many of you know if we apply this to all of our politicians and the policies that they voted on, it would clarify a lot of bad policy. Because it says that every person is living quorum Deo and is responsible not only to live a life that glorifies God, but to obey what God has clearly taught. How many of you know God has clearly taught us about marriage? 
And so you don't stand as a Christian and try to play both sides of the track uh, when you exist Coram Deo. And our job as the church is to keep reminding those who lead us that they can't compartmentalize their lives. There is no part of your life that you can put a, a do not enter sign for Jesus, whether you believe in him or not. He still exists, and he is still true, and we're still responsible before him. So really what we're talking about this morning is, are you living a consecrated or an unconsecrated life? Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. Now, now, the context here is of a church that was very poor. They gave an extravagantly generous uh, gift, financial gift. But this is what Paul said. It's very instructive. He said in verse, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 5, they even did more, talking about the church there, they even did more than we had hoped for their first action. Everybody say first action. This is important. Their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us. Now, this is so important. What I'm trying to tell you is our first action. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning. What's your first action? To give yourself fully to the Lord. And then notice the second part. Our service to other people flows out of our first action. When you give yourself to the Lord, then it's not about you. Then you realize it's about serving and blessing other people. Can I just say this? This is where capitalism gets a bad rap because capitalism minus Jesus is just as wicked as Marxism. It exploits people. It's greedy. It's ugly. It's extravagant. That's not kingdom capitalism. Kingdom capitalism exists, first of all, as I give myself to the Lord in the marketplace, and then I realize what I do exists to serve and bless other people. How many of you know if you're involved in any kind of work that doesn't ultimately lead to blessing people, you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong work? All right? We exist to give ourselves first to the Lord. That's called consecration, and then to other people. So what do I do as a pastor? I give, why am I doing what I'm doing? Can I just tell you? First of all, to the Lord. There have been seasons in life and ministry when I wasn't the most popular person to the church to anybody. Seasons where people are splitting. Seasons where people are coming. If a pastor focuses on what's going on in the flock, we will be miserable people. I have to keep going back to the stake in the ground that's called the call. You have a call too. You go back to the stake in the ground, and the stake in the ground reminds me of what my first action is, to give myself fully to the Lord. When I give myself fully to the Lord, everything comes clear, my heart comes alive, and I have a passion, ready for this, to love you. A pastor who doesn't first give himself to the Lord is worthless to love his people. And I'll just say, I've seen pastors like that. They preach their sermon, they slip out the back door. They don't like people. It's just a religious job. But when you give yourself to the Lord, you can love people. And you need to love people that are harder to love. See, you all are sanctified, holy, saved, basically nice people, most of you, (laughs) on your good day. But when you go into the marketplace, that's not always the case. So if you don't give yourself first to the Lord, how are you able to give yourself to other people and to love them and serve them? So the first principle is the principle of consecration. Let me lay this down and a couple of points, and then we're going to pray for you this morning. Point number one, a consecrated life is lived under the Lordship of Christ in every area of my life. Paul says in Romans 12:1, a familiar verse, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. 
and let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. I've found this to be true in many people's lives. When we get saved, we give our hearts to the Lord. Have any of you heard that expression? How many of you would like to give your heart to the Lord? But Jesus didn't ask us to give our hearts to him. He said, give your body. In other words, he likes your heart, but most people say, Lord, I'll give you my heart. Just don't mess with my head, my feet, my hands, my brain, my lungs, my arms, but I'll give you my heart. And then how many of you know people that, that give themselves to the Lord on an installment plan? You know, like $200 down and $25 a month for the rest of their day. <laughs> Can I just tell you, that it's not, that's not the gospel. We live that way many times because the Lord is patient with us. But how many of you know he says, I want all of you. I want your entire being. It's like people say, oh, don't go to church. They just want your money. And I always joke around, no, it's much worse than that. God wants, ev- <laughs> God wants everything. <laughs> I wish he could get off for just that. No, 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 you can't get off for just that. No, he wants everything. Just lay in the tracks here, folks. We're going to have some prayer. I want it to be real. Point number two, a consecrated life is dedicated to God in all of its parts. In other words, it's sanctified. That's what consecration means, set apart to God. Look at Luke 14, You cannot be my disciple without giving up a few things along the way. Oh, no, that's not the right. You cannot be my disciple without giving up. What, what, I can't read. What does that say? Everything. Everything. Oh, my word. What kind of gospel are we preaching? How many of you know that Jesus is serious about all of you? And how many of you know he's worthy of all of you? So that's what he said, not me. You can't be my disciple without giving up everything. Wow. That'll make us pause for a moment, won't it? I love William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, a radical man of God. Someone asked him the secret of his ministry success. He said this, God had all there was of me. Wow, what a great statement of consecration. Florence Nightingale, the illustrious nurse, at the end of her heroic life, she replied, uh, someone asked her the secret to her ministry and success. She said, well, I can only give one explanation. That is, I have kept nothing back from God. Isn't that amazing? And I love this quote, one of my favorites. The greatness of a man's power is in the measure of his or her surrender. The greatness of the power of God through our lives is directly proportionate to the degree of our surrender. So how I many of you know if we, if we surrender good and we get out of the way, then we receive more of God's presence in our lives, more of his power, more of his anointing, more of his love. But if it's still about all about Ron's life, self-life, uh, then I crowd out the activity of God in my life. So the key to more is for me to be less. And that's what, that's what consecration is all about. This one's important. A consecrated life is an integrated life, not a separated life. Now, some of you came out of holiness churches, and how, how many of you know we're, we're for holiness around here? Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. But we like to preach a happy holiness because Jesus was the most holy human being who ever lived on planet, and he was also anointed with the oil of joy more than his brothers, which meant Jesus' holiness had a smile. I found that in the church, when you're holy and happy, it's a lot more effective than holy and angry. We don't do that here. 
Well, praise the Lord. I don't even want to be here, all right? Um, Jesus was happy. He was full of joy. And he had no sin. And you ready for this? The worst thing religious church folks could say about Jesus, ready for this insult? He's a friend of sinners. You know, we actually had some folks that left our church one time when I was a youth pastor because they found out that unsaved teenagers yeah, were actually showing up at our youth ministry. Can you imagine that a youth pastor would allow unsaved kids to show up at the youth group to defile our precious little holy ones? Last time I checked, Jesus was a friend of sinners, which meant they liked him. They didn't feel judged and condemned by him. He loved them. Now, I can't help, when I read that testimony of the lady with the prayer request that came up, I can't help but feel, even as I read it, the compassion of Jesus welling up inside of me. Like, what would Jesus like that woman to do in that situation? I think what, just exactly what she did. She has a connection with a woman in need. Now, what can she do? Love her, serve her, pray for her, point her to Jesus, encourage her. And what, you think that woman's going to come to the Lord? I have no doubt she's going to come to the Lord. Because here's the point. God's not asking us to go to work with like a Teflon shield around us, trying to just keep from being infected by all the people around us who don't love Jesus as much as we do. There are a lot of people, that's your view of holiness. It's like come out from among them and be holy. How I many you know there's a difference between being integrated and being separated? Like Jesus lived a fully integrated life, so when he was around people that didn't know him, he was not trying to be cool by doing the simple things they did. We're not talking about a compromised life. We're talking about a consecrated life that has a holiness that's attractive to where people want to know why you're so happy, why you're so on top of things, why you love so well, why your family's so good. That they want to know, like, where'd all this come from? Let me in on it. Because you're integrated. You're among them. You're touching them. You're smiling. You're working with them. You're encouraging them. You're doing all the things Jesus would do. You, you all hear what I'm saying? So our goal is not to pull you all out. And keep you here at church so that none of you backslide and go to hell before Jesus comes. That's not the goal. I've told people this. I don't know if I want to send my kids to work here. I don't know if I want to send my kids to this school. I don't Listen, at some point you have to believe that the Holy Spirit inside of your children is powerful enough to overcome the world. Because you can't hide them forever. You can't, I've seen kids that were so inoculated in the Christian bubble that when they actually got around someone who was unsaved, they acted like a total heathen. They like did everything that everybody said they couldn't do for 20 years and then all of a sudden hit 21 and wow, they're like total pagans. Like they should have been let out of the box a little bit earlier to see if the relationship that they have with Jesus is genuine. I mean, you know, you can't tell if it's genuine until you're challenged to the first person that says, hey, want to take a hit of this? And then you're like, do I really love Jesus? And is the Holy Spirit really real inside of me? And do, do I really have the strength to say, you know what? I've got something better than that. 
Not interested. I got something better than that. That's why we got we to gotta let Jesus out of the box. And consecration doesn't mean hiding people. Or keep it, and, and please hear me. I realize all of our kids are different. You got to know your kid. I realize there's nothing better than a great Christian environment, especially when they're young and we're establishing Christian worldview. But sometimes they're going to fly the cage and, uh, and make sure they're ready to fly. And so here's what I, I mean, this is a side note. This wasn't part of this message, but it's a good parenting point. Don't freak out when your child falls and skins their knee in real life, it's on the job training. Last time I checked, the only kid that didn't ever skin his knee with Jesus. I don't mean literally. I mean, Jesus never sinned. The rest of us learned by experience. And, uh, and sometimes experience is a great teacher. I'm not encouraging our kids to go out and make dumb, dumb choices. I'm saying they'll never know what choice they're going to make until they have an opportunity to make a choice. And, uh, and I believe that Christ in us is big enough to overcome the world. How about you? Amen. All right. Let me end with this. A consecrated life, lastly, is centered on the glory of God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Wow, what a great challenge. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know nothing, for you know nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Do everything enthusiastically because nothing you do for the Lord is useless, pointless, or wasted. What a powerful, powerful challenge. Work enthusiastically at work. So you go to work tomorrow morning. What are you doing? You're going, and I want you to write this down somewhere. Put it on your mirror. I'm going to worship. Because this is not the only holy place on planet Earth. The whole Earth belongs to the Lord. It's all sacred. So go to work to worship. Now, I don't mean you're walking in, hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying the attitude of your heart is you've given yourself fully to the Lord, and now you're going to give yourself fully to what you do. And you're looking for opportunities. In fact, you're praying for opportunities to bring Christ in, into somebody's life. You're looking for opportunities. You want, you feast on problems. Because Christ in you is the great problem solver, all right? So you look for challenges. You look for tough situations so you can bring Christ into the situation. That's when life begins to get exciting. Let me end with this, one of my favorite quotes, D.O. Moody. The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. I will try my utmost to be that man. Isn't that a great quote? It's better than a quote. It's a great, it's a great model for us. So here's what we're going to do. I want uh, our ministry team to come up here, our elders and pastors that are in the house. We're, gonna, we're, we're kind of doing a, a morphed fire tunnel this morning, although we're not going to do a fire tunnel. Last time we did a fire tunnel, it took four days, and uh, some of you missed work. Uh, everybody was up here. Everybody was up here prophesying and snotting over you and crying and praying and, and loving on you, and it just took way too much time. Uh, I'm joking halfway, but it was also true. So we're going to have a new ingenious plan here this time, all right? Here, here's the spirit of what we want to do. There are seasons of fresh consecration for all of us, and I'm just inviting you to a fresh season of consecration. We're coming into the Christmas season, to the holidays, start of a new year right on the heels of that. What a time to just give ourselves fully to the Lord. 
And if you're hearing this message about the workplace and hearing this message about uh, engagement, integration, I'm encouraging you to give yourself to the Lord this morning. What do I mean by that? Lord, use me 24-7, 365, all week long. I'm giving myself to you. Use me at work. Use me at home. Use me in the marketplace. Use me wherever I go. God, I'm available, and I want to live for your glory. I mean, that, I want to be set apart. I'm not just going to work like I always do. I'm set apart for the purposes of God. Uh, it's a fresh consecration. So that's all we're going to do. We just want to lay hands on you. We want to bless you. We want to pray for fresh anointing and fresh consecration. So when you leave here today, you show up at work tomorrow, you realize I'm on site. I'm ready to worship. I'm ready to minister. All right? That's the spirit. So everybody on that section over there, you guys are going to walk down the wall area. I'm saying everybody that wants to, this is not like y'all come. I I want you all to come, but I, I want you more to be a sense of fresh consecration in your heart, all right? Make it real with the Lord. So you guys come down this way, and uh, Andy and Joyce, if you could go over there, and uh, Pastor Dick, I'll keep you here. Marion and I will handle uh, this group here. Jerry and Terry, can you guys come over and help Pastor Dick on this side? So this section right here, I want you guys to come down this way and work your way back that way. This section here can come right down right here and work your way out that way, and then you guys come down here and work your way out that way, all right? That sound like a plan? So stand to your feet. By the way, after, after you've prayed or we're officially over right now, we're going to minister to you, pray over you, but then service is over, so have a great week of worship, all right? Have a great week of worship. We love you guys. Those who want prayer, consecration, come on down.